the Cogent Code podcast, logical and convincing, a deep dive into the standards and rules we live by in today's society. I'm your host, Akil Bechtimba, and my co-host is Sia Parker. On this episode, we're going to discuss protest and civil unrest in America in 2020. We'll also get into what's happening in the 2020 movements, how technology has changed the way organizations and individuals see racism, move, and how it's different from the past. We'll also explore the meaning of civil unrest and protest, the role media plays in the portrayal of actors, and whether what is happening in the United States and around the world is really making a difference. Before we get started, we're going to talk about, uh, I want to do our normal and uh, get into the Urban Dictionary and give a definition of protest. According to the Urban Dictionary, protest is a temporary gathering of people designed to speak out against a cause or political event. According to Martin Luther King Jr., one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. And according to John F. Kennedy, those who make peaceful revolution impossible make violent revolution inevitable. So um, the law is important to explore on um, First Amendment because I think this gets thrown around a lot about people's First Amendment rights to free speech. So the First Amendment of the Constitution states that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So regarding the civil unrest, um, I think this is important because um, there have been many Supreme Court cases that have defined um, what the law as far as the First Amendment means and and, and what people's rights are to the freedom um, of expression, right? And, and protest, I think you would agree with me, Akil, that protest is a... Uh, a, a, a freedom of your expression, right? A freedom of standing up for what you believe in. Absolutely. So, yeah. So um, in uh, Benjamin and Cordoza in Planko v. Connecticut, oh, I'm sorry, the U.S. Supreme Court Justice um, Benjamin Cordoza in Planko v. Connecticut um, said that the right to join with fellow citizens in protests or peaceful assembly is critical to a functioning democracy and at the core of the First Amendment. Unfortunately, unfortunately, law enforcement officials sometimes violate this public right through the means intended to thwart, to thwart free public expression. Freedom of expression is the matrix, the indispensable condition of nearly every other form of freedom. So because the Supreme Court has defined this multiple times, I think it's important for us to kind of look at some of the movements that we're seeing right now and talk about um, what the what they stand for, what the mission is, and um, what they're trying to express. Right, so we, we started talking about earlier as we were preparing, uh, as we usually do, um, about what it mean, what it means to protest or what does it mean for civil unrest uh, and why people um, take advantage or, or, or jump into these uh, protests individually and, and as groups. And for me, it's really uh, it really kind of boils down to to your belief um, in one way or another that either what is going on is kosher and OK 
or it's not. And if you truly believe that what you are seeing uh, is not uh, okay, you're not okay with it. It doesn't uh, doesn't um, take care of humanity. It, it's not fair. It's not equal. Any of those reasons. Um, then I think that, as it said in some of the definitions and some of the quotes we just said, um, that it's your responsibility to get out there and say something. Um, some of what we were talking about before is also, you know, why, not just why people get out there, but how they get out there. And so, um, you know, we both have some some experiences with that from, you know, years ago and even some more recent. But, you know, what are your thoughts, Sia, about why you think that people get out uh, out there in protests that may be different than mine? Well, I think that for me, at least, um, uh, we, we discussed in the first episode, kind of my background and, and some of the family members that I have. And I'm just always, they've always taught us to stand for something, right? Mm-hmm. you got to stand for something. And I think what's happening, especially am- amongst the younger people that we see in the 2020 movement is that they're really feeling something in their, in their soul. And I think one thing we've done to the young people, which is really, really great is we've made sure that they believe that they have a voice, right? Social media, um, uh, YouTubers, all of the the phenomenons that we've seen, even, well, you can even see reality TV, Mm -hmm. the common person truly feels that they have a voice, right? And that they should be able to say and do and express themselves in a way that makes them feel comfortable. And I think that as it, as, as something comes up with them, right. As, as something that they see in society, whether it be gun violence or whether it be, um, you know, in, in this case, black lives matter movement, when they feel something, uh, they, they want to get up and say something. I participated just recently before the black lives, um, matter movement. I participated in the women's, uh, mm-hmm. March, mm-hmm. um, both in Los Angeles and I did one in Orange County this this last year uh, because to me, um, marching for women's rights resonated with me, right? It, it, I felt something in my soul about how a woman's body, um, uh, we still have laws on the books and we still continue to interfere with the way that a woman uh, manages and, and, and does things with their own body where we don't have any uh, laws on the books that say the same about men. Right. right. So, so to me, it, it's something that I, I don't believe um, is fair or just right. So I wanted to make sure that my voice was heard. So I think we're seeing that with the young people now. And I think it's pretty exciting. It is really exciting. And, and I'm glad you you kind of segued into that, because um, it, when we talk about history of movements and especially history of movements uh, in the United States, they have always been driven by the youth. Uh, if you think about it, you know, the Black Panther Party, the, uh, you know, the brown parties, the Asian parties, the all the different, um, uh, you know, uh, groups that have have really kind of fought against an injustice uh, have all been driven by very young, uh, very young people and, and the youth. And, you know, they may have received funding from older folks. They may have gotten some guidance. Um, but they have always been driven. And so one thing is that that is so exciting about, uh, and I would say maybe that's different now, is the fact that um, there is so much going on that you almost have to not be aware or be in a cave in order to not be about something. 
So you just mentioned the women's rights. Um, women's rights is a huge one. Obviously, it's always been a huge one. Um, but civil rights and Black Lives Matter and gun, um, you know, gun law changes. You know, we've had, you know, so many, um, you know, school shootings that have mobilized, you know, the youth around changing the gun laws. We have, um, you know, I mean, it's just it's just so much the Me Too movement. There's just been so many things. And, you know, it may be, uh, you know, the current administration may be a catalyst of it all. But I think that it was brewing even even before it, you know, and I think that um, we are in a position now. We are in a place now um, because of technology, access to information, uh, access to videos every single day about something happening um, that it just it puts people on either side of the the narrative, um, you know, in action. And so that's what we're witnessing and experiencing, I think, today. Yeah. And, and, you know, to further that point, we're a democratic society, right? right. So um, we're, we've been founded on, if, if you think all the way back, we've been founded on this idea that uh, there's civil disobedience, right? In, in ways, if you go back to the Boston Tea Party, right? There's mm-hmm. civil disobedience in ways that go back to the foundations of this country that says when you don't feel... Um, in, in that case, it was taxation, right? right. So if, when you don't feel that something's right, you should be able to speak out or do something about it. Um, the, the interesting part of the 2020 uh, scenario to live in this time in history, obviously you and I uh, were not born in the 1960s, right? So we were not born during the civil rights movement. We were born just right after, right? right. Uh, in, in the 10 years after that 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 movement took place um, and also women's rights, right? We're, we're, we're kind of sandwiched right after that period of time, but this is a democratic society. And I think that um, it doesn't, it doesn't matter which side of the aisle that you're on. Um, you should be able to stand up and say, um, I don't think something's right, or I don't believe in this, or I would like to express myself in this way. It it is at the foundation of the constitution and the democratic society that we have. Now, when that gets suppressed, I find that that's really a problem because that's not what we're founded on. And it's going away from the ideas that we have formed this country on. And um, a lot of people and immigrants alike, um, they risk their lives to come to this country based on the mm-hmm. fact that uh, freedom of speech and religion and other things are afforded to them here in a more freer way than in other countries in the world. And so I think to go away from that would really be sad. And it's really something that we cannot allow to happen under any administration. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you use the the example of the Boston Tea Party. We can go back even further than that. We can do it. Nat Turner in 1831 and slave result, uh, revolts. Those were obviously um, uh, at that time considered civil disobedience, but they were, you know, they were survival and they were they were breaking. They were purpose of it was to break um, the slavery um, paradigm that was going on in the fact that we, you know, we were in unjust um, inhumane conditions and working for free in this country. And so, so yeah, it goes all the way back, but I think that is, as you fast forward it, um, to now, and you talk about, uh, I think your point about the immigrants and the fact that, um, you know, they came from, especially when we talk about the European immigrants that came from, 
um, you know, those places. They came here as immigrants um, voluntarily, right? Uh, a lot of other immigrants came here uh, and we don't even want to call them. I don't necessarily call them personally, call them immigrants myself, but we were stolen and brought here. And, you know, and so there was there's a whole different thing. But it's funny that those immigrants that we talk about, you know, that we usually talk about with Ellis Island and and all of that, um, they came here and then they ended up oppressing the natives that were here before them, you know, and even the Africans that were here before them. So that's a whole nother thing. But um, but yeah, the 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 precipice of of protest and movement and civil unrest, um, you know, and there's two definitions. We gave the protest, the, the protest definition, the civil unrest definition, uh, as I found it was a little bit different. That was more around violence, um, being added to a protest situation. And so protests came up in more of a, you know, in a peaceful, um, gathering type, uh, environment, but then civil unrest became, the violence and and when you know when it became a clash with police so we've seen both of those things in 2020 though uh, we have seen so many things in 2020 if i mean i don't think any of us have imagined fires and civil unrest uh protests uh covid i i think we're living in times that are unprecedented to have all of this kind of converging in in, in hurricanes and at, at all at one time so you know you know, pray for, for 2021 to come very quickly. Um, but I, I do want to kind of help to define the Black Lives Matter movement, because I, I do think that when I've heard my um, non-African-American friends talk about Black Lives Matter, I think that there's misconceptions about what that movement was or what it is or is not. Um, so it was founded in uh, uh, 2013 in response to Trayvon Martin's murder. Um, and, and the acquittal, right, of his murderer, right? Mm -hmm. And so Black Lives Matter, um, it's global, which I didn't know, you know, in doing research for the show, it's in the US, UK, and Canada. Right. And it wants to eradicate white supremacy and build local power to intervene in violence inflicted on Black communities by the state and uh, vigilantes. Right. Uh, by by con combating and count uh, countering acts of violence, uh, creating space for Black imagination and innovation and centering Black joy. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that I think is really interesting, that's their mission statement, actually, off their website, is they want to counter acts of violence, not cause acts of violence. Right. Their whole mission statement is to intervene in violence against Black communities and counter acts of violence. Right. So I think what is happening in kind of the protests and then what um, stemmed into what we saw as civil unrest is that the the some of the movement and and other things that were going on um, as a combination, like there were some people that were there to protest in, mm -hmm. in my mind. There were some people that were there to cause disruption and to distract from the peaceful protest. Right. And there were some people who were reacting to the violence that was coming towards them right. against them. From law and I don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. So what I, what I want to say about that is I don't know a person on this earth that when you're getting shot with something or you're, re, you're getting tear gassed or you're getting 
uh, beaten with billy clubs or any of those things that you're not going to try to defend yourself in some way. I just don't see that the, a logical person cannot see that. Right. Even, and and we can go even take this down to when people are getting arrested. Mm -hmm. If you're getting arrested for something you did not do. Right. And you are getting pushed down. Your head is getting pressed into the pavement. You're getting, uh, you know, you're being roughed up. People are kneeing you in the back and you didn't do that thing that they're accusing you of. You're not even the person that they're looking for. Your underlying reaction is a a person who's in pain or is being hurt. It's going to be to a knee jerk reaction is to fight back. Right. It's fight. It's flight. Or fight, you know, right, and right. and I think that people forget that when things like that happen, because a lot of times my friends will say, well, if they just didn't do anything or if they just, you know, you know, didn't resist at all, or if, if they just didn't do, you know, act like that, then they would still be alive. Well, I'm like, how do you know what you would do if you're being beaten? How do you know what you would do if a knee was in your back? How would you know? And why is it that we even get to that point or that place where that is even something that we have to discuss? It should not be the case. And unfortunately we're seeing over and over again that it is. Right. So, so going back to your first point about black lives matter, um, statistic just came out that 93% of black lives matter protests have been deemed peaceful and that's come out, come out from government agencies. Right. So, so there you go right there. I mean, the movement is about, like you said, um, suppressing and counteracting violence against, against black community specifically by the police. Right. So that's one thing. The other thing is that, and I go to, you know, I, I piggyback off of what you're just saying is that, you know, it's, for those that say that, you know, you should just um, comply, um, you know, any of that. When we are approached in most cases, they go immediately to 100, right? So there's not even, I mean, if you look at the, I just saw a video today where it was a passenger in a lift that got pulled over because their taillight was out. This is the passenger in a lift, Uber, whatever it was, just like, you know, just like we all have have ridden. Now, if I'm in a in a in a Uber, it gets pulled over by the police. First of all, I'm not even tripping off it because it's not my car. I'm not driving. But I get snatched out the car. And I start to get harassed and I start to get and then next thing that happens in in within, you know, 15, 20 seconds, I'm slammed on the ground and two 200 plus pound. Officers are on my neck and on my back and I'm and I'm supposed to what lay limp. You know, you talk about that fight or flight, you know, our number one instinct is survive. And so that's that's a whole that's that's a whole thing. You, we can we can go into that um, in 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 a whole nother show by itself. But I do want to mention one thing about the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think that, uh, and I've seen a couple um, different quotes on this um, because I've heard people not support. I've heard black people not support, and these, you know, who I would probably consider conscious and active, you know, um, folks out there really kind of combating things that you know are aligned with 
kind of some of the purpose of the Black Lives Matter movement. But they're not in support of Black Lives Matter movement because they feel like it has been funded by um, non-Black organizations. It's been, you know, it, it's it's been, uh, you know, its mission maybe has been compromised or it's been taken out of our kind of ownership. And so I think that what people should be really concentrating on when it comes to it is not that it not that Black Lives Matter is an organization, although it is, but the fact that we are all fighting for Black lives. So there is a distinct difference and also similarity when it comes to the movement as an organization and the movement, period. Um, the protests that I've attended, I haven't been out there as part of the Black Lives Matter organization, but I was out there in support and fighting for the value of black lives. So it's very interesting because it, it that way, you know, I think that sometimes when we have movements or we have organizations, it's not necessarily movements, but we have organizations and someone doesn't agree with the premise or the mission of that organization, they counter that organization or they come against that organization when really it's a division, you know, it, it causes division. There's no reason why. And if you use uh, you know, Fred Hampton in Chicago. And as, as an example, one of the things that made him so successful was that he was able to get the entire kind of poor community and those that had like, you know, issues and things that they were facing um, together. And they they were basically a rainbow from white to Asian to Latin to everything. And, and he got them to be able to organize and they were successful because of that. So I think that we get caught up sometimes when we're talking about specific organization like their gangs or like their their you know corporations or like their their you know and so we don't want to um get involved because of whatever rhetoric or we don't want to get involved because of whatever thing as far as black lives matter goes everybody black should be about that and actually everybody period should be about that well i i mean i have a slightly different opinion although i think it goes along the same vein um, I think it's perfectly healthy not to, when an organization is propped up, for you not to have affiliation or feel like you want to support the organization fully um, based on maybe the direction that they're going. I think that that's fine. And I think that that's a, another beautiful part of the First Amendment and freedom. your right to freedom of speech. But to your point, I think that um, you can still believe in... Um, the reason and the premise for why that organization was formed, right? And you may not, like a, a lot of people are having a debate on whether or not there was a discussion about defunding the police, right? And that scares a lot of people, uh, especially people that are not of color, right? Because mm -hmm. they're thinking, if you defund the police, what you're saying is we'll have no law and order, and then there'll just be chaos and anarchy. Right, right. Which is but, false narrative. And also, I think it's important instead of just running around being scared, you've got to actually educate yourself on what is really being asked. And in the case of defunding the police, um, a, a lot of organizations had eight or nine things that, that were objectives of what they were speaking of. Um, some of that being um, instead of giving funding at the same level to the police organizations, um, reallocating that funding to community organizations or community health within the community uh, that's being policed. Because if you look at 
what happens in the legal system, a lot of um, individuals that become criminals um, are doing, you know, theft crimes. Uh, there, there, there's potential violence in the community caused by gangs. And a lot of the youth don't have after school programs or other things that they, that they could be participating in that could take them away from, uh, those kind of activities. And a lot of people are, are like, well, get your kids in sports or get your kids in after school care. Well, I, I was a single mom and I'm going to tell you that those programs, my son was in every sport under the sun. I right. It's not just paying to get into the sport, but it is the the, taxi driving. the the taxi driving and the back and forth to the games and the games are mm-hmm. never in your community. They want to have them like 30 minutes away. Yeah. And for L- for L.A., that was a bear. Uh, it's all this other stuff that goes along with it. And I think that people who are in a nice position in life sometimes forget that although that situation to you is something easy to to participate or have your kids participate in mm-hmm. it's not always available to people in low-income communities um and just because there's a boys and go- girls club there doesn't mean you still have to it's play even funded or- it might not even be funded and so that's you, true yeah and you're and you're and I, th- I think that's a good point i mean um you know going back to defund the police it's i think it's a bad message right the whole abolish and defund those two words uh, are very polarizing. And I think that they're, I think that they cause, um, you know, I don't know what the purpose, if it's on purpose or not, but I think they cause uh, a bad mess. Yeah. And what the, yeah, yeah. And what the thing is, is that, like you said, um, defund the police does not mean that we don't have any police. It means that the police don't, don't respond to mental health crisis. It means the police don't respond to a lot of nonviolent situations, um, which in turn people should be happy about because then the police are actually focused on crime and they're focused on, on, on violent crime. And they're focused on the, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, getting more into the serve and protect, um, portion of their jobs instead of, you know, instead of responding to these things that they are not trained to, to, to respond to. And their number one, their only response is escalation. You know, we have seen over and over and over that their ability or training or capacity to de-escalate situations are far and few between. I was very happy the other day to see a video, which, you know, we get all of our (laughs) things by actual video, actually seeing body cam footage um, of an officer coming up on a black man who was in a certain shirt and certain shorts and saying to him, look, I'm, I'm sorry to do this, but we just got a description of a black male with same shorts as you, same top. Let me just check, you know, can, I, can we just check you out real quick and make sure that it's not you and let you go on about your way. We are not saying it's you. We are not, you know, when we've seen the converse to that, you know, an earlier episode, I gave a description of, you know, I was 13 years old and the bank had gotten robbed in my town you know, and I did not get the benefit of the doubt. You know, I was automatically accosted by the, by the police. And, and so the difference between this situation and the situation I just saw um, showed that there was obviously this person actually looked at that person as a human being um, and did, you know, did his due diligence to keep things calm while he was checking out the situation and it turned out well. Um, but to our year old, earlier point, that's generally not the case. So defund the police um, is is an 
you know, I think is a good thing. And I think it is, a, um, you know, it puts funding in places that it should be to support the community as opposed to putting, un, you know, unnecessary um, pressure on the police to do things that they're not trained or they're not supposed to be doing. I, I agree with that. Uh, what I, where I, you know, obviously we talked in the uh, uh, trauma and drama episode about mm-hmm. my um, relationship with the police that I mostly lived through other black people that I was associated with and not having as many negative personal experiences with the police. But what I will say um, about the police that I think is important is I do think that sensitivity and and training and actually spending time in the neighborhoods in which they police in a different way is necessary. If you live in the suburbs, but you're policing in the city and you've, and that's not where you came from, that's not your environment. And and it's, it's not about education, but you have a high school diploma. That's all that's required to be a police officer. Mm -hmm. Um, You have some training, maybe a week or so about, you know, people of color training or, or those type of things. And that's not some of the behaviors you might see could seem, you know, foreign or odd to you or whatnot, right? Because that's not where you come from. That's not what you're, you're, you're familiar with people, the way that they relate to each other. Maybe that's not what you're familiar with. So that causes you to, um, want to, to do extra things. And then the other thing that I think comes up a lot for black people, both brown people and black people, I'll say, is that our skin is our, is a weapon, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, so that's another thing I think that people struggle to understand with us is that we don't have to have a weapon. There doesn't even have to be anything that they see that doesn't have to be a gun, a knife, even though they always say the suspect we thought they had a knife, right. we thought they had a gun, or we thought this was a trap house where drugs were being sold or whatever mm-hmm. they want to say. The thing is, is it's that it doesn't have to be a weapon. It just has to be the color of our skin that is weaponized, right? right. It is already a weapon because it already is um, suspect to them. Right. And one of, and one of the things as a mother of a, a black son, that is just, it's, it's so... I mean, it's aging me early, although we mm-hmm. talked about how we, we don't we don't look at, as old as, as black people. We don't age um, poorly. But the thing is, is that, you know, I have such worry every yeah. time my son is enjoying himself at a party or he, you know, he he lives in L.A. right now. He moved out to 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 move to L.A. And it's just it's in the back of my mind constantly about is he going to get stopped? Is he going to say the wrong thing? You know, all of that kind of stuff. And that to me, that extra burden, I mean, every mother, white, black, Asian, it doesn't matter when those kids come out of your body, this level of worry is so intense. Just imagine if on top of that level of worry, you have an extra layer of my kid is black or my kid is Hispanic or my kid is looks a certain way. On top of all that, which adds to the likelihood that something can get escalated to zero to 100 in 2.5 seconds and they may not come home. It is it's crazy for black parents to have to deal with. And going going back to, you know, obviously the reason why we're having this conversation and the fact that um, the conversation is about what's going on in America 2020 and the protesting and civil unrest. First of all, before I get there, uh, we're going to have to have another conversation about what you know about Trap House, because you mentioned Trap House. And I, I, 
I'm trying to figure out how you <laughs> anyways. No. So, so back. So the reason why I'm, um, so I'm bringing up the back or bringing us back obviously to, um, the nature of this, this discussion. And I think it really just boils down to the fact that you mentioned, uh, you know, being in, living in the community, not living in the community, anytime that you approach, and, I, and this really kind of a, uh, applies to any profession, but especially in law enforcement, anytime you approach an us versus them uh, mind state, then you are going to treat people a different way, right? So if you are, if you are, you know, and that's why I think we see so often the disparities between how white people get treated by the police and why, and how black people get treated by the police or people of color in general. You know, um, you mentioned, you know, skin being the weapon, you know, the color of the skin being the weapon and you'll never be unarmed if your skin is, is your, is the weapon. Right. And so it's easy for them to say every single time my life was in jeopardy, I was afraid for my life, which is their narrative. Right. And so, um, so I think there's a couple things. One, I think that there should be, if you are policing a community, you should have to live there. Therefore, you should be recruiting people from there to become police. Because it's harder to, to, to shoot your neighbor or to, to, to abuse or brutalize your neighbor than it is going into another. You know, it's just like our, our soldiers go into other countries, right? Soldiers go into other countries and are forced to do, you know, unspeakable atrocities, you know, and that, and, and unfortunately that's war in some cases. And, and sometimes it's, it's, you know, criminal, but in our neighborhoods, you know, those that come and police our neighborhoods are like stormtroopers. They're not from there. They don't live there. So they come in with a us versus them. I live here. This is us. I'm going in to police them. And as long as that's the case, then we are going to, we're going to continue. I don't care how much training, I don't care how much, you know, policy change, there is going to be an attitude that there is a different way for us to, to deal with them versus us. And that's why you see, you know, the, the uh, South Carolina mass murderer get to go to Burger King on the way to jail. That's why you see every single one of these um, situations where you see white male supremacists, white supremacists doing atrocities and they don't go, they don't get killed. Most well, I mean, I mean, just, you know, there was the protest. Uh, where was it? Was it in Wisconsin? Yes. Right. And, and, and the and the white they they were saying they were attacking property. And we're going to get into this question yeah, in just yes. one second. But but a, a, a white male comes and he's 17 years old and he has a gun and he which is legal, obviously, to be armed with firearms. But he shoots two people in front of. Of the, of the law enforcement mm -hmm. in front of them. And he's able to walk away. They apprehend him later, which that, to me, property and is never more important than people's lives. I don't care uh, if it's a federal building that was built in 1962. I don't care because guess what? I live in California and California is burning. Yeah, And I'm going to tell you that in this fire, Nobody's saying that the property that's burning down is more important than the lives that they're saving or asking to evacuate. But when it comes to this scenario, because they're saying that the damage is be 
being caused and we're going to get into who it might be being caused by mm-hmm. it's it's all of a sudden that property is more important than lives well let's think about crazy. property though let's think about property and and your example of of Kyle written written house or whatever his name was um he's not he doesn't even live there right. he wasn't protecting his home he wasn't protecting his family he was a vigilante whose mom drove him from Illinois to Wisconsin to be part of this militia against as a counter protest to the Black Lives Matter protests, which was peaceful for the most part. So, yeah, you know, th- that's a whole different thing than, you know, than what we saw, you know, with the Koreans protecting their stores and the, and the black folks protecting their stores and other protecting their stores in the L.A. riots back in the day. It's different than you know, you, you protecting your home, you know, that his whole situation was foul and illegal. And that's why he's been charged with murder. So that's, that's, you know, that's a, yeah, that's just a, that's a, well, something just popped in my head um, that is going to be even more controversial, but I'm going to say it anyway. What's interesting is that the buildings and the courthouses and the structures are considered property, but also the people that they're trying to protect mm. and say mattered as were also property. Mm. Black lives were property at mm-hmm. some point. And so I wonder, and this is for the audience to think about and ponder, I wonder if because on both sides, the person was seen as property and the property is property, that one is getting value, but the other one is it, it, it's kind of getting wrapped up in, in like less than they're less than human. They were just property. Right. So it's kind of a weird uh, mm-hmm. dynamic or, or, or a strange sense of, of, of what might have been connected and why people are not making the um, I guess, making the connection between it being a person. And, you know, I had done some research before we got on the, on the call and I talked uh, to you a little bit about the Ku Klux Klan, right? Mm-hmm. Which, can we? Can which, I say something before you jump into that, real quick? Sure, sure. So, so, because we, you know, this is a gumbo issue, right? We got we're throwing hella shit into the pot. I wanted to just mention one thing about property, and I and before we move on to you know talking about these other organizations, which I think is very important. Um, but when we talk about property, when a team loses or wins a major national championship, right? You see those cities going crazy. You see cars turned over. You see, you know, you see, especially in college towns, right? You see just the craziness really, really in other, in any other case, they would be called riots and looting and destruction, right? But in those cases, they're called celebrations, right? Ohio State wins that whole area, in Columbus, Ohio, is cars are on fire, cars are flipped over, people run down the street screaming. You know, it, it's crazy. It, Same it's thing. Lit. In, in, it's yeah, it's it's literally lit, right? So, so it's you know, so it's so you know, when we talk about you know, that's okay. But when people are hurting and people are expressing their frustration, and you know, and at times things get destroyed in those in that case then it's, you know, it's a huge uproar. So we have so many, you know, of these, these 
um, necessary equivalencies that we don't pay attention to. And then we have a whole bunch of false equivalencies, which I think we're going to get into here with this next segment on the uh, on these other organizations. Yeah. So let's let's get into that, because I think it, it's important for us to bring out and then people can do with the facts what they wish. But the Ku Klux Klan uh, was uh, reared its head and, and it, it showed a presence in the 1860s. It was first formed to harass and intimidate black Americans and northern reformers in the reconstruction of the South and white supremacist hate groups rapidly grew on the basis of the prim- principles that white nationalism, specifically anti-Black and anti-immigration, and actually also anti-Catholicism, among other uh, despicable stances, but they, you know, um, anti-Jew as well, uh, they were responsible uh, over the past century for untold numbers of murders, assaults, harassment, and other acts of violence and intimidation. Um, But in 2020, um, they're you know, are not, they were never classified as a terrorist group. They're not classified currently as a terrorist group. And uh, you have to think, Hey, why is that? Uh, One uh, two of the, the major things that they did, and I think people may or may not be able to identify with it is that um, there was a town called Rosewood, right? Which was a black affluent town that was uh, attacked. Um, The black people in that town were massacred and burnt, all their buildings were burnt down. Um, there's a movie uh, about it for those of you who don't know. And then um, uh, Tulsa, o- o- uh, Oklahoma, the Black Wall Street um, was similar, right? Um, in that s- circumstance, there was a, a a young man that was accused in an elevator of, of offending a white lady. Uh, and so uh, he was put in jail, but they decided to come to the town and not only try to get him out of jail, but burn the entire place down and massacre and kill people. Um, and all of this was caused by that organization. What's interesting to me is that when you go back in history, um, it's called a massacre, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the rioting, the looting, the the burning crosses on people's lawns, the uh, terror? The, the terror, the cocktails thrown through people's windows, the lynching of people hanging them by the tree. And we have symbols of that uh, all over the place in, in um, uh, postcards and mm-hmm. stickers in museums. You can see all of these. Uh, we have songs about it, strange fruit, all mm-hmm. kinds of things, right? The second, people are not going to like this, but the second verse of the national anthem mm-hmm. talks about lynching of African Americans, and that's why people uh, tend to protest th- that song, mm-hmm. which people ignore because they don't they don't go that far in the song to really understand what what that was about and why mm-hmm. people feel some type of way about it. Um, but all of those things I'm bringing up because I feel like. Um, sometimes the definition of what people are willing to say is right or wrong is skewed by the people who are actually behaving in a certain way. Right. right? And I, I'm not I'm not saying that Americans wouldn't agree that things that the Ku Klux Klan has done are are unspeakable. I'm not saying that at all. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people would agree. But the way it gets classified, uh, the way that it's been looked at uh, has not been portrayed in the same way that I feel like. Um, some other uh, ax 
Blacks have been um, portrayed as. So, so why do you think that is? I think that it's the American dichotomy. I think that, um, you know, what's good for one is not good for the other, that it's that, that America has, um, you know, displayed a, you know, unbalanced and unjust, um, you know, kind of fact. And that is that, you know, it's okay. You know, if you, if you change, if you change anything, if you change the color from one to the other, right? So if you had someone, you had someone white, if you go back in time and in the examples that you've given, and you had someone white who had, had, you know, disrespected uh, or, or thought to disrespect a black woman, right? Let's say a 16 or 13 or 14 year old boy, his name was Emmett Till. And he was, let's say he was white and he, um, you know, and a black woman said he whistled at her. And then a bunch of black men came and kidnapped him and murdered him and got off. Well, the the sad part about the Emmett Till example is that she admitted that that never happened, but he was already dead. Dead for how many years? 50 years or something like that. 50 years. Yeah. So, so, you know, I I think that, you know, uh, what was acceptable, you know, you talk about the lynching and you talk about the terror still to this day, the Ku Klux Klan is not on the terror group list. Mm -mm. Nope. How is that? And they have documented terror in our history. And so, you know, so it's just, it's just, you know, I, I think that is just what we live in. And I think that coming back to our topic about, you know, protests and civil unrest in America 2020, that is what it's about. I think that uh, we have had years and years and we've had, you know, we had, you know, in our time, obviously the 20s, there was, you know, uh, you know, and, and if my dates are not right, but we had Marcus Garvey and we had, you know, we had had those folks that were, you know, our icons. Then in the, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, we had, you know, those folks. And I think that, you know, we have gotten to a point now where um, we're not having the status quo anymore. And I think that it's permeated throughout our entire community. And it's not just black folks. I think that there are white folks and other people of color who are saying, look, you know, we see it all the time, you know. Um, well, well, I mean, to get into that, I mean, there have been examples of these this treatment on Native Americans, and oh, Japanese Americans and Jewish and uh, the Jewish people. And um, you have examples of things that have happened to Chinese, uh, the Chinese Exclusion course, Act. Right. You have, uh, you know, uh, Mexican-Americans. Right. Um you have all kinds of things. I think every group can basically say that there's been an act of some kind of uh, massacre, terror, or something that has been brought upon their people just simply because they didn't, they were different, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that that has always been at the basis. I mean, even in the gun control, we can even go there, you know, these mass shootings that we've been having all across. Uh, across the country for so many years um 
just people are crying out to say that what's happening isn't right and something needs to be done about it. The sad part of, to me is that it's not, we don't always listen to the call to action or we, it takes us too long to be able to uh, make effective change. And I think in the last couple of minutes, after we talk about one other subject, um, we can talk about what, what we could do to try to make that change. But mm-hmm. I did want to get into uh, one of these strange things that keeps coming up. And I don't think that people really understand what it is or, or why this, you know, why we even need to address it. But uh, Antifa, right? right Antifa right. is an organization or lack of an organization, because it, it was defined a little loosely um, when I looked it up, but it's a anti-fascist organization affiliated by their militant opposition to fascism and other forms of extreme white ring ideology. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a unified organization. It's 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 people kind of ga- uh, having the same belief system, but not in an organized sense. Right. Uh, but rather a movement without a hierarchical leadership structure. They're kind of just individuals acting on their own accord. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, have proclaimed that and their mission statement is it's a violent self-described uh, anti, uh, I don't even know if I can say this, but it's a Marxist type of collection of far left activists mm-hmm. whose goal is to uh, intimidate educators, politicians, speakers, journalists, police and civilians not conforming to their their mission or their message. Mm-hmm. Right. So the reason I'm bringing up, they, and also I would like to say that they were declared a terrorist organization by this administration's Homeland Security on August 27th of 2020. Right. The reason I'm bringing this up is that, um, you know, it's often the media is portraying uh, the non-peaceful protests. We know mm-hmm. in Portland, Oregon, there has been, ever since the death of George Floyd, there's been continuous protests um, thereafter. And the media has portrayed the whole Black Lives Matter movement with a mix of these individuals in there uh, as violent and non-peaceful as a whole. And I think that that's really uh, resonating with people's fear inside of them about what, what's going to happen next. So what, what do you think about this? And do you have any comments about what Antifa is? Well, I think that I think that. As you described the organization, I think the extreme right created the extreme left. You know, I think that, um, you know, Antifa obviously is the furthest left you can go. And and they are self-proclaimed as violent, just like the Proud Boys in uh, in Oregon and some of these, you know, white supremacist, right ring militia type organizations that are militarized as well. Um I think the problem with Antifa for us in the Black Lives Matter kind of, um, para, you know, kind of movement is that although I think that they have been a, um, in some ways, a support, I think they also have, because they have their own style and their own objectives, I think that they've co-opted the movement. So if we're talking about 93% of, of Black Lives Matter protests have been um, you know, mostly nonviolent. We are also talking about the fact that that other seven percent were probably violent because Antifa or other groups like Antifa, who you know we've seen, are not necessarily black, 
and also have been, you know, the catalyst for quite a bit of destruction. Um, and so my only, uh, I think, positive around it is that those who know and, and even the media has clearly differentiated between the Black Lives Matter movement and and protests with Antifa. And uh, and so, you know, I think it's a it's a, you know, unfortunately, a necessary evil. You know, I think that it's it's one of those things that you can't have. You know, it, it causes balance in in, you know, kind of in the situation um, where you have a far, far, far left militarized, uh, you know, violent, uh, you know, self-described anarcho-Marxist movement. And, you know, and then on the right. You oh, you the said other. it. You ah, said it. Watch out, watch out. Uh, and then <laughs> and then on the right, you know, you have an equally uh, violent, militarized, um, you know, self-described um, white nationalist movement. And so, you know, I think that that that's what happens. And, uh, you know, and that's what Antifa is about. So, um, you know, unfortunately, that's that's what it is. And, and you know, we are um, and most other movements and protests are somewhere in the middle. And, uh, you know, and that's what happens. And unfortunately, like I said, we some of our our protests and some of our actions have been co-opted by, you know, by the focus. You get the focus gets taken away from what we're really there fighting for and what we're really there talking about and ends up, you know, being the distraction because they are burning buildings and fighting with federal officers and setting courthouses on fire and all that kind of stuff. So it's interesting. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so. um, with all the protesting that's been going on, not only in America, I was really um, proud to see around the world. Yes, yes. That people stood with uh, us, right, and the in the movement around the world, just saying that this is not right, and we're watching you, right? We're supposed to be the the leader of the free world. We're always mm-hmm. saying we're the leader of the free world. Well, we didn't look that free in that moment, right? right. We didn't look that that great. So it was, it was really good to see that around the world, people were willing to say, stand up and say that that's just not right. Although I'm sure those, those, um, a lot of people wanted to fight with me and say, well, those countries aren't perfect. Well, no country is, No. but I, but the, you have to stand for something. So do you think that the, the protesting is, um, sending a message to the, uh, to the government, to the, the leaders, people in power, um, do you think it's really making a difference? I think that they have to recognize uh, the power of the people. And I think they are recognizing the power of the people. And and let's just be, you know, just be completely. Um, my opinion is that. Cash rules everything around me. Right. <laughs> so, you know, bringing up Wu-Tang. Cream. Right. 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 Cream is, is cream. So if you think about it, um, what moved what moved first business right business moved first then the government started moving it seemed to me after they saw business move so you know when when kaepernick started kneeling you know three or four years ago and really bringing light to this subject um especially after you know the trayvon martin after eric gardner after freddie gray you know all these things were happening and these are, you know, and it's a trip to even talk about these particular names because you can multiply each one of those names by a hundred 
And that would be more of a realistic number, right? There are so many um, that have been killed or brutalized that we don't know their names, right? So the whole say, say my name or say her name, say his name is really important. But um, the point is, is that uh, no one was paying attention. You know, it was a big uproar. He's, he's, he's crazy. He's this, that, and the other, including the NFL. Well, just recently, the NFL said they were wrong. They should have listened to Kaepernick. He still doesn't have and a job. And he still doesn't have a job. Exactly. You know, so, you know, it, it's just, you know, I think that once, once business moves, once money moves in a certain direction, then government starts to pay attention and say, okay, well, you know, we can't hide anymore. We have to move these things. And because I, I don't, I don't feel like, um, you know, I think there are people in government, but I think if we're just talking about government as a unit, uh, it doesn't have the consciousness of the people, you know, and a lot of times it doesn't even have the consciousness of the people in mind as they make laws and, and move, you know, move our realities around. So, um, so I think that what happened was business started moving, business started saying Black Lives Matter, you know, major, you know, multi-billion dollar entities started moving around that. And I think that when that happens, then, you know, those who are in power have to pay attention because that's their funders. That's their, you know, that's their financial basis. And so they have to move in that certain way. Yeah, uh, I agree. But um, I, I also think that um, if you just stay quiet, nothing will happen. Right. So by being out there saying something, um, showing your that we're reunited and i think what was beautiful about uh you know this this protesting cycle here was that we had a lot of uh, people that were all different colors right all i mean it was is the same in the 60s but i think more so now there was so many different colors because i think what 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 people of color realize is that when it's happening to black people it's happening to all people right they they tend to come together more as a community and realize that they, they also are facing some version of this, maybe a, a, a dimmed version of it or, a, you know, not in the same way, but they can envision themselves in, in some of the, um, the, the microaggressions that they probably have felt um, on a daily basis. But I think um, two things um, I, I want to kind of talk about what could we what can we be doing more of in your idea and in your mind? What could we be doing beyond just protesting? Because I think it's beautiful to have a voice, but what do you do after that? Yeah. So we talk a lot, you and I talk a lot about, um, you know, what happens after the noise, right? So there's a couple things that, that comes to mind for me. One, um, I think this huge awakening, um, was, and I'm talking about across all lines, I think this huge awakening had something to do with not only the fact that um, these atrocities were happening because these atrocities have been happening. I think Will Smith said it well when he said, um, you know, they didn't they didn't just start happening. They just started getting filmed. Right. So, you know, so these atrocities have been happening and a lot of people that, you know, are in amazement and oh, my gosh, you know, somebody told you about this happening before. You knew about something like this happening before. You heard someone in your family be racist and let it go. I think that what has happened more recently is that people are realizing that we're the culture, right? So 
everything that they touch, we have touched in some way or another. Almost everything that we do in a day to day, it's it's been enhanced because of a black inventor or someone, a scientist that had something to do with it. All the way from the 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 super soaker that you use, you know, in the summertime to your cell phone, to stoplights, to, you know, alarm systems, to everything. And so I think that that there had been an awakening not only around the political and justice issue, but just the fact of the value that, you know, although we were enslaved for and, and oppressed for 400 years and in a lot of ways still oppressed, uh, we still have contributed a ridiculous amount to um, to society and to the world. And so I think that a lot of it has also um, stemmed from that. So I think the awakening to that. So I think that that's one thing. The other thing is that what happens next is that we continue to make moves to own that, um, to own our, you know, you see a whole new wave of ownership of our own businesses, ownership of our own intellectual property, ownership of our own time and space and energy uh, and culture for that matter. You know, you don't see the the record deals where, you know, um, Glass Knight and them used to get exploited, you know, happening today. You know, you don't see, you know, you don't see, um, you know, people just taking anything um, for the value of their work and their time and their expertise. And so I think that I think that that's what has to continue to happen. Um, and that's on kind of the business and, and just the general view on the political view. We need to be raising the next um, congressman, the next mayor, the next judge, the next teacher. You know, we need to put that same amount of effort um, that we put into raising the next LeBron, the next Serena, the next Tiger, you know, um, into those other areas. And and if we do that, then we will see, uh, I think, and realize the change that we're looking for. Yeah, for me, I think a, c- a couple of things um, when these things happen and we do see that. um someone uh, is harmed by the police, although I think that that's way late in the game. We do need to actually call because what you see is everybody posting on social media, um, the local, um, you know, senators and Congress people and uh, uh, attorney generals and uh, city attorneys and, and those type of things. But I would bet that most people do not take the action to actually call or send the letters or do those kind of things because it does put a lot of political pressure on them. Um, I also think voting is very exciting, mm-hmm. uh, um, very important and, and a very exciting thing this election because we really can make a difference because I think what people don't really discuss it's it's we focus so much only on the years in which it's a presidential election Mm -hmm. but um presidents don't actually make laws other than executive orders so it's your legislators and your supreme court justices that are really going to shape the law and so um it's really important that you you vote in off elections it's really important that if your senators and your congress people are uh our career Congress people that are unwilling to act or unwilling to, to do the people's they bill, go. that, that they've got to go and their turnover uh, every four or six years, you know, their terms are turning over 
Um, we have opportunities to unseat them. Uh, we have under, uh, opportunities to put a majority in one house or, or uh, the Senate. And so I, I think that that's important. So uh, I know we're in coronavirus, but canvassing your neighborhood, even if you leave a letter on somebody's door telling them how they can vote, where to go to vote. Uh, not everybody's on social media. Right. Uh, there's an app called Nextdoor. I don't know if you, yep, you have very it. Familiar. Okay. Well, people like to talk about everything from their dogs to who, you know, who dropped this in my front yard? Yeah. To, I mean, but I, I got think 27 it, hangers that, that I'm going to put on my front porch for you to come pick up everything. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, I mean, although I don't think every place needs to be political, but just reminding them of the steps that they can take to vote, how to register for uh, absentee ballots, yeah. uh, making sure that they're, we're doing it now. And not waiting until 30 days before we vote because we're about going into that time frame. Mm -hmm. uh, research your local candidates because in your own cities, they are making uh, ordinances and things that actually do affect you. That's so right. actually not letting them because I've been getting blown up by everyone in San Diego who's running for mayor and mm -hmm. for this or that and wanting to be city attorney and wanting me to vote for them. And I'm like, well, I don't, I'm not going to tell you or commit my vote because I'm this party or that party. Right. I'm going to need to know what this candidate is actually running on. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the things that also is said is if you're going to vote by mail, please make sure to sign your ballot because if you do not sign your ballot, it's not a valid vote. Yes. And a lot of people make the mistake of not signing their ballot and therefore their vote does not count. Mm. Um, mail in or drop it off physically early. So do, vote now. You don't need to wait until uh, November to vote. Vote now. Um, ask your organization or your job for the day off to vote if you're going to go physically in person. Mm. Because we anticipate since... Uh, some voter suppression we suspect is going on and some mailboxes have now be been removed. Yep. You may be waiting for hours and you can ask as a courtesy for the day off to handle that. And most jobs will allow for that. So I encourage that. And, um, and for me, I, I think um, some of it is, is on the legal front too, really pressuring um, uh, folks uh, to, to make law, right? You can start a petition, you can get mm -hmm. signatures to have, laws be placed on ballots in the future ballots. Um, it's really, really important. People died for our right to vote and we vote. They have done studies that show that we year after year, we're voting less and less, not more and more. Um, and I, I think it's disrespectful yeah. to the people who laid their lives on the line, uh, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat to right. uh, disrespect them in that way. So. No, I love it. I, I love it. I think that, uh, first of all, thank you for making sure that, um, you know, that the audience got all of that detail because we are dealing uh, in a time of misinformation. And that information that you just laid out is is key and, and incredibly uh, important. Um, and I think that the point that you made as we kind of close this out is it really about action. Right. So we talked about protests. We talked about civil unrest. We talked about all of this. But all of this is really action. And, you know, as it pertains to voting, it's about action. You know, I'm in debates all the time and having conversations all the time where there's a lot of people incredibly, especially our people that are incredibly discouraged about voting because they can't get behind the, a candidate. They don't feel comfortable with, you know, a candidate's history. They don't feel comfortable about this and that. But, you know, 
you have to, you know, these candidates, these, especially on the presidential level and in, in some of the local elections, they're there for four years. So don't, don't not vote because you can't get behind this particular person. Just think it all for all those people. I looked at some of the statistics and we talked about, you know, in, in, um, you know, in certain areas, Donald Trump won by 12,000 votes and got that, you know, that electoral college vote, you know, um, 20,000 votes, some people. And then, and then what they showed in the, in the, in the infographic next to it was there were 200,000 black people that didn't vote and he won by 12,000 votes. So there's, yeah, yeah. go ahead. I think it's super important though, that people realize that the two candidates that have a chance to get in office, whether you like Bernie Sanders, whether you Mm -hmm. like Elizabeth Warren, whether Mm -hmm. you like, uh, you know, um, uh, any of the Republican uh, candidates that could potentially Kanye West, let's just say (laughs) whoever you like, um, when you slice off that vote for that individual, and I don't want to say your vote doesn't count, but when you slice off that vote for that individual, Yes, this is a democratic society and you should be able to vote for whoever you want. But you and I know that the person who takes office is either going to be a Democrat, Republican, and in some cases, independent uh, candidate has been pretty close. Right. We had Mm -hmm. Ross Perot years ago. So those are your choices. Um, Slicing it into minuscule. I don't like everything about this person or I don't like Kamala Harris or I don't like, you know, uh, 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 Pence, Mike Pence, all of those type of things. The, the, you, like you said, some places your vote really is the difference between electoral college votes that make a president win or lose, as we saw with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, right? Hillary, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by a lot. Three million plus votes. (laughs) Right. So it means that your vote matters kind of. Yes. Yeah. And it depends on where you live. But if you don't vote, then you're not even I don't want to hear you complaining about what's going on after because you didn't participate in the process. But it goes back to what you said. I mean, the bottom line is that our people died to vote. We have people that gave their lives to vote. We have people that voted and got killed after they voted for voting. So it's our responsibility, you know, whether you're 100 percent on board with the candidate or not vote because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's your responsibility. And I think that, you know, anybody that doesn't do so, I think that one, yes, like Sia said, don't complain, but two, you should feel like shit because you, you, you're part of the problem. I'm going to be just straight up with it. And now I, I'm going to have to make this episode explicit. Thank yeah. You. Sorry. <laughs> I just, you know, I'm kind of passionate about that. I just think that, that it's important um, and we can edit that out if you want to. But uh, if it, it's important that people are um, active. And I think activity is the most important thing, whether you're active in the protest, active in voting, active in anything. You should be active. Don't sit at home and just complain and just sit at home and, you know, Internet hustle. Be active. And if you're going to use the Internet, which we didn't really get the chance to talk too much about technology in this whole situation, um, but you can use it. I mean, you don't have to canvas door to door. You can hit a thousand more people by sending out, you know, emails or sending out text messages or doing, you know, or doing that kind of thing. So there's ways that you can participate, but just be active. 
So to wrap it up, I want to wrap up this episode, actually, um, and I'm going to allow you to say her name because I don't want to butcher it. But I think one thing to leave people with is the voices of the youth, right? And how how are the ways that we're behaving today affecting the way that they think about civil unrest, protesting in their futures, and why um, really what they're seeing in social media with Black people being killed so frivolously how the impact of what that is doing to their soul. So I had the pleasure of interviewing your niece. Her name is Charlize J. Charlize J. And she made some great points. And I, I, I literally almost started crying while she was talking because it just is showing you how old is she? She's 20 years younger than me. So she's around 27 or so, I think. Um, okay. Yeah. So she's, a, she's but- definitely the younger generation. Yeah, so she she really, you know, kind of talked about having uh, six brothers and one sister and how it feels for her to mm-hmm. be black in America. So I want to I want to um, as always it was a pleasure talking to you, but I I do want to end this podcast with words from the mouths of babes, right? That's young, right. young people. That's right. That's right. Beautiful thing. So I'm going to ask you a deep question. So you, you tell me if you feel comfortable with answering it, but so with what's happening today in society, and I I don't mean COVID, I mean the civil unrest Mm -hmm. that you see with the black lives matter movement and um, the many examples of uh, black lives that are um, being taken at the hands of, of, of police officers. How does that make you feel as a, as a, a black, um, female, a young lady growing up in, in society and having brothers and uncles and and family that are black males that are subjected to that kind of uh, disdain or violence. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it is very uh, touchy because I have a lot of male cousins and uncles. Like most of my family are males. I grew up with six brothers and so, and one sister. So, like, men are heavy in my life. So, I've always known that this was happening. But um, when everything happened with George Floyd, it kind of really triggered something in me. And I think it's because of COVID. I think that I was actually still and had time to like pay attention. And so, when I seen that, I got heavily involved in what was going on getting online, trying to help in any way that I can, because I would just, I just couldn't even imagine like it being someone that I knew. And um, so it's very, it's emotional because I, and then just seeing it over and over and over again, it's just like, mm, I wish that I could do something to stop it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a different generation, even though this I think a lot of people don't really realize that although people say, well, this has been happening for a long, long time. I think social media has changed the game, right, because it's right in our face and we actually can see it. And even all of the accounts that are being revealed that are not always accurate. Right. And Mm -hmm. you're you're actually able to see the violence in your face. Clearly, so it is changing the game. Social media is changing the game on this kind of yeah stuff. So, which is a good thing because um, social media can be put in a bad light. 
But I do believe that without it being so big and growing and growing and it being, you know, everywhere around in the world, we wouldn't ever have gotten to this point to where everyone can actually see what's going on in the streets and see what's going on in another state or really up the street in the next neighborhood because someone just recorded it and posted it. And now they have apps where you can see what's, what just happened in your neighborhood and you can report it like it's, it's crazy. <laughs> so I do think yeah. that social media has helped us um, bring light to this situation. I see the, 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 I see the,